Hey you lot! Welcome back to Glittering It's Heard. If this is your first time here, welcome, come in, take a seat, make yourselves comfortable. Um, talking of seats, I'm currently sitting in my new house. I had to move after my landlord decided he wanted his house back, which is totally fair enough. It is his house, he can want it back when he wants. Um, but uh, obviously that completely threw, threw me off course. The rental property market is not exactly booming at the moment and I really struggle with change. So at the time it was kind of awful news. But now that I'm in this new place, I'm thinking that it was probably for the best because uh, I'm about to start new cancer treatment. It's almost like a new chapter and maybe I needed these fresh new four walls to do all this stuff in. So sometimes these things turn out to be not as bad as you think and that's kind of the theme of today's conversation that I have with my guest David Gandhi he also had to find a whole new route to do with his career and yeah you'd totally be forgiven for wondering what hardships a beautiful white man such as David Gandhi would be facing in his life I totally wondered that too but as ever we will learn that turds find their way into everybody's lives. Even the really, really handsome ones. Turns out turds do not discriminate. So I will let you have a listen. And then I would very much love it if you supported my podcast by subscribing or following it on whichever podcast app you're currently listening from. Enjoy. So you probably know David Gandhi from an image of him lying topless in white swimming trunks on a boat surrounded by turquoise water in the sunshine, modelling for Dolce & Gabbana. He's modelled all over the world for some of the biggest brands, has now created his own clothing line called David Gandhi Wellwear, and is also an ambassador for Vita Biotics Wellman, as well as being an ambassador for many great causes like Battersea Cats and Dogs Home. And today... He's even lucky enough to talk to me about turds. So, David, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Looking forward to talking about turds, which is a totally new one for me, which is really, really yeah, good. Yeah, tried to keep things interesting around here. Let's just go straight into it, shall we? Yeah, yeah, go for it. What turd would you like to bring to the table today? <laughs> um, there's probably quite a few I could bring. Um, I always sort of say that... Uh, as, as you put it, bringing a turd to a table. So there's been a few, but you sometimes, I always say you learn from mistakes more than more than anything. So um, the, the pinnacle one was, I, I think everyone kind of, I, I probably believe that I was sort of uh, thrusted into the fashion industry and I was on a, a glamorous boat in glamorous conditions and uh, was working with supermodels and great photographers and that wasn't the case uh, whatsoever. I think it was that sort of four years of plugging away within the industry. I finally got what I believed was uh, a, a break with a, a very, very big brand, who American brand, who I always wanted to work with. And we spent many, many days, hours. I went for castings. And we had to go through the rigmarole of all these different, uh, all these different areas. And I was pretty much packed, ready to go. On my first, what I thought was most prestigious shoot ever that was going to uh, project my career and, and, and uh, catapult me. And I was literally just about to get uh, in a car and I got a call from my agent who said, they've literally just dropped you. Wow. 
and they've decided to go a different way. At that point, after four years of uh, waiting for this opportunity, it was a little bit hard to take. And I think that's about the only point in the industry where I thought I've, I've just had enough now. But then it, it took me a, a, a it, it gave me a, uh, I suppose, a push and a bit of momentum to realize then of how I needed to sort of control my career personally and control the industry rather than the industry controlling me. And that's when we I completely changed. I, I, I was literally after a month later, I, I told my the head of my agency, this is the areas what we're doing, the way we're working, commercial, um, can, you know, I wasn't doing campaigns, but sort of catalog modeling. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And it was either completely turning right instead of turning, you know, going left and, and completely changing, which no one had really done before and set out a plan and strategy to where we were going to go. And that road led us in the end to Dolce & Gabbana, which, of course, then did catapult my career. It was, I always say I wouldn't be here without Dolce & Gabbana. And mm. it started with the campaign. Then whilst I was doing their show in Milan, uh, after after shooting the campaign, it led to Light Blue. And of course, uh, that's, that's when things really started to happen. But it took uh, almost that, uh, I suppose, shock element of many ways of, of having that disappointment and almost just didn't want to come back, just thought I, you know, it, it was failure. And I always say it takes a lot to come back from, to pick yourself up again and carry on and still have the belief that you can, you can do very well in the industry that's uh, literally just trying to knock you down. And, and the, industry, you know, that, the, you know, the fashion industry is one of those. Well, I guess, I guess because your career in fashion didn't really happen because you wanted to be a model or you thought this is going to be my life because obviously you at uni didn't then end up finishing uni because you won the competition on this morning to be a model for select uh the agency select models and I guess after that not everyone gets a career break like that do they so up until that point of being dropped mm -hmm. so last minute for something that I guess you were very pumped mm -hmm. about were things fairly plain sailing did you go oh, actually this is this is okay and did you have a kind of a warped way of seeing your career and how things are going and you needed that sort of mate it, it doesn't it doesn't it's not always this easy and I and you needed that sort of uh reality check yeah no there, there definitely wasn't any reality check needed I was definitely sort of you'd have that reality check the first time you are sort of chucked into a, a show season in Milan and you're there with thousands yeah. of guys going around to hundreds of appointment with, uh, you know, a, a sweaty T-shirt that is passed around by a hundred sweaty guys. You've got to try on to get a shot, which I actually refuse to do. But there's there's moments always because that you, I always had quite a probably strong head on my shoulders. I was a little bit older than a lot of the guys that started. A lot of them could have been 16, 17, 18. I was 21, nearly 22. But it, it, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough industry. There's lots of competition. You can't take it personally. And this is what I say to guys. You know, you, you are judged at the end of the day on on the way you look and the way you present yourself that day. That isn't anything personal from the uh, from the brands or the people casting the brands. I, I now have to do that myself. It's just they have a creative and they have a an image and, and, and a story they need to tell. And they need to find the person or the face to do that. But of course... You know, from, from a point of view, it, it's it's you can be it can be anything. You know, it's like uh, you, you talk you talk 
too short, you're too big, you're too small, you're, um, you know, anything it could be. So you are picked apart a little bit. Um, mm. And once you have done four years of that, it's it's difficult. I wasn't not earning any money. I was, I was doing okay, but in catalogs and, and more commercial work. But I knew where I wanted to be. And it wasn't about money. It was about sort of the prestige. It was about being one of the best in the industry. And I, and I believed, and my agency believed in me, that we could do that. There's, there's many stories, Chris, you know, to, to, to where this, is, uh, this has happened before. In my first season for Dolce, when you, I went to go and cast for that, and it was the only show that I got that season in my first year, and I, I didn't really do show seasons after that. But when you go and do Dolce, you, you get cast, and then you go and fit a couple of days later to, to they choose the, what you're going to wear for the show, and then you go downstairs to their barber shop, and they, uh, they give you the, what they call it at the time, like the, the Dolce haircut. was the time they leave it, quite long on top and they just shave the sides of your head and that, you know everyone has this, the same style on the show and I couldn't do that because I was on option for quite a big campaign with someone else so I went back to Domenico and Stefano and said guys I, I can't do this because I'm on you know well, they want longer hair for this other campaign and I just can't I can't cut my hair and they came back to us and said um and and Domenico and Stefano were brutally honest and they said David you either cut your hair or you don't do the show and I decided not to do the show and I walked away from it because I thought there was uh, a chance of getting this other big campaign. You have to make those decisions. It just turns out that I didn't do the show and I didn't get the campaign. So it wasn't a particularly very good week. So that's the, you know, those elements there, those catalysts of those bad times within the industry is what catapulted it, you know, forward in many, many ways. And that's why I always say you learn from the, you, know, you learn from mistakes or you learn from, from a bad experience in many ways. You, so can I just go back to you? Um, you said that, you know, if you don't get a campaign, if you go don't get chosen for a show, you can't take that personally. Did Was anyone telling you that when you first started out? Because, I mean, you've been in the industry for a long time now and um, young young lads, you were 21. At the, you do, does, does anyone show, tell you? to check in with how you're actually feeling about these things and rejection, how to deal with rejection. <laughs> um, good agencies will. Good agencies are there to support. I always had a great support network with Select Model Agency. It's it's not about telling you not to take things personally, um, but they will tell you that, and they'll tell you that there's bigger and better things to be had. Hopefully you have the support network and an agency that still believes in you to move forward. And as with Tandy Anson, I, I don't believe there would have been uh, a lot of owners of uh, uh, sort of modeling agencies would have said to me, fine, okay, let's drop every bit of work you have, every because we need to completely change your your branding. And they were willing to lose you know, a lot in percentage of money and I was willing to take that chance. And hopefully you can see, hopefully two, three, four, five years down the line, what you could be achieving and where I wanted to be was up there with the female supermodels that was the platform that we chose but why did you want to change that why did you want to be up there with the the Kate Mosses and the supermodels I suppose if you go and go into industry I suppose if I'm going to go into a career and, and I put my all into it and I dedicate myself to that I just I, I suppose I want to be one of the best uh same as being in sports anything else um mm. That's that's why I push myself and dedicate myself uh, to that element uh, to make it one of the best. You know, it's the same with 
when I'm working with brands and I'm ambassador for brands, I want that brand to be to do very well, and I want that collaboration to be one of the best collaborations. If I'm if I build wellware, um, I want it to become uh, very authentic. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, in some ways, why bother doing it? And to, and if you can make a change with that brand as well and make a difference, uh, yeah. Simple Have you always been like that? Were you like that as a kid as well? Competitive. Yeah, comp- <laughs> yeah, yes. yes, I suppose competitive. Yeah, like super competitive. Played every sport I could. Wanted to win every game. Couldn't see. Couldn't like. I, I know it's about competing. I know everyone will tell you about competing, but um, which is a lovely side to it. But I, but I always wanted to win. That was uh, not a, not at the the cost of anything. I mean, I but uh, always wanted to be the best and, and wanted to win at something. If I was taking part in it, you know that that was the whole point and. Um, that's what I always kind of wanted to do. And that was the industry. And if it was uh, any other industry, I'd probably be the same. That's just my nature. It's got to be a level-headed side to, you know, uh, what you're in, and to know your, um, I suppose, to know your limitations. I mean, I, I, if I could be anything in the world, and I still say it to this day, what I wanted to be was be a, a veterinary surgeon. But I knew my limitations that I was never going to get there. I was never going to get the grades to be able to do that. So... That's why I, I I fell upon this path in into the fashion industry, but could see could see where it could be taken, and could see a gap in a gap in the market. It's really it's really where it is, and that's where the marketing and the branding and strategy came in. So I guess having that drive and being quite sort of competitive and thinking, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. Having that massive knockdown and uh, not getting that massive gig that you so I guess felt really like you'd worked really hard for. I guess you having that strength and that determination must have really helped you to think, no, okay, well, this one wasn't meant to be. Let's try something else. And obviously with the help of your agent, you then mm-hmm. thought, well, let's rethink this and work on, yeah, really rebranding in a way. So how did it, how, so how did it feel? You took a risk. You thought, okay, this wasn't meant to be. I'm not going to do catwalk shows anymore. I'm not going to do cat. Um, catalogs is that right not catwalks mm-hmm. or catalogs anymore yep. and then yep. go you know put something together show Dolce Gabbana what you can do and then to actually finally get that gig what was that like it happened so quickly Chris I've got to, I've got to say like we were I, I they Dolce got me back to do the show in 95 96 and then whilst I was on the show my agent called me and said we're talking about a fragrance and the fragrance is when you get a fragrance not so much these days, but it's still one of the biggest things in the industry. You can the con your fragrance contract, mm-hmm. and we started. You know, they started. We're negotiating on something. We're not sure what it is. It is Dolce, and within two days of me being Milan, I literally got to walk off the the runway, got into a car to the airport to go to Capri. Wasn't sure what the fragrance was. Wasn't sure what the concept was. Didn't know who the photographer was. Turned out to be Mario Testino. Um, met the crew the next morning. Uh, we took speedboats over to Capri. We shot light blue. Um, that's that was my involvement in it at the end of the day, and uh, you know the why I was cast for that is because they wanted this uh, more classical looking, muscular um, uh, model face of the brand at the time, and um, at the time when I was in modelling, everyone was really getting skinnier. Everyone was going for the more androgynous, skinny look, and I went the complete opposite because it one I couldn't. I was never, a, you know, a, a slight guy anyway. I was always you know, slightly bigger and played lots of sports. And uh, 
So when everyone said, oh, you know, you're not fitting into, I used to go to castings after castings where I couldn't fit into sample sizes. So I was called, uh, you know, a couple of the, uh, the designers called me the big guy. Oh, the big guy's here. He won't, he won't fit into our clothing. So you wouldn't get the job. I suppose a lot of people would have thought, okay, I need to get smaller and I got bigger. So <laughs> which probably doesn't make much sense to people. But I, I kind of saw within the, you know, within circuits of, of fashion, within the circles, it, it, you know, fashions change. And so do the models, and uh, it was just waiting, waiting for a, for an opportunity. And you know, there's a saying that uh, there's no such thing as luck; um, just a well prepared person waiting for an opportunity. And hopefully, that was that was me. So yeah, I, I you know you don't know how big the campaign's going to be. Of course, um, it wasn't until I, I saw the campaign virtually the same time as everyone else. So I didn't know what the campaign image was, and then. From that campaign image going up in London, going up into uh, to Times Square, I literally saw it two hours before on my phone because my agent sent it to me, and um, and then it just took off, of course. And then the next day, it was press wanting interviews and wondering who this guy was, um, and and we went from there. So of course, you you don't know that's going to happen. You don't prepare for that. You don't say this campaign is going to have eleven million hits on the first you know sort of first few weeks. Because um, you're not prepared, and then we so we had to change very very quickly and uh, deal with press and PRs and you know, bring in more teams. And, and but like all things, if I achieve something, sometimes I allow myself a couple of days of enjoyment with it. But then I want to use that. I I want to catapult from that. And how I saw this, and maybe a lot of guys would have sat on their laurels and said, "That's fine. Like I've I've got that campaign. I, I saw a much bigger um, play, a much bigger." Um, strategy of, of how then I could make a name and brand that name, um, you know. And, and I had a collaboration with MLS in starting 2012, 2013. Um, you know, that idea of collaborating with a brand was in the making of five years. I already knew that's where I wanted to be in five years' time. So that's five years is then building the next five years. The five years I'd got to was to get Dolce and to get a big campaign. The next five years after that was to get to the next point. And then after MS, I knew at one point that I would want my own brand, which is the hardest thing to do. It seems like the long game, isn't it? Like, because five years is quite a long time, isn't it? To kind of go, nope, I just got to be in it for the long game and we'll get there. Um, and that takes uh, real <laughs> sort of confidence, I think. And It, 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 it does yeah. now in a world where we want everything yesterday yeah. at the end of the day. So if I, there's a lot of models who say, how did you get to where you did? And if I can say to them, well, it took me five years to get to this point, five years to get to this point, five years. And they said, what? So I'm looking at 10 years. And I said, it could be, yeah. Oh, you can't say that to a young person now. That'll put them right off. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not. You know, that's why hopefully we do these things sometimes to to tell people it's about patience. Yes, it's about perseverance. And it's about knowing your limits. Perseverance is one of the most important things in the world if you truly believe something. Um, but patience is uh, a massive virtue as well. Can we um, talk about social media for a minute? Because um, obviously, when you started off, mm-hmm. no one was necessarily people were judging your body and your looks, maybe on a billboard or on telly or you know in print, <laughs> but not on a little phone. And they weren't; they couldn't readily tell you whether what they if they liked what they saw or they didn't or they were jealous or whatever you know wherever someone's negative comment comes from we we can't know that for sure but 
Um, and today you're still in that fashion world. You're still, you know, you're casting models yourself. You're probably dealing with a different kind of body confidence to the one that you dealt with when you started out. Um, what, what have you noticed in these, what, like 20 years that you've been in this game now? So, I mean, I, I, as you said, there was no social media uh, virtually when, when I suppose when we shot Light Blue. Uh, that's why I'm, to, I'm still talking about internet hits, which seems such an old, old sort of fashion way of, uh, of, of gauging something now. Um, but uh, yeah, things have have changed massively, and uh, I mean, from, from a point of view, from creative, um, I. I I'm saddened to, we were talking about it at a, at a lunch we just had, is, is being the great advertising that you used to see, uh, the great Vogue editorials, GQ editorials, all these incredible magazines with incredible photographers um, that you know, have shaped the way the fashion industry looks and, and has inspired people and are pieces of art in many ways. You know, people, there are books of all these campaigns and you don't see that anymore. You know, it's like a lot of brands are using uh, digital influencers, influencers to create their own content. Not saying there's anything wrong with that current content. Some of it's a lot of creative, but um, yeah, we're seeing video formats, of course. Now, TikTok, Instagram is going more video, so we can, we're moving further and further away from the still image. And it's a very hard thing to do to to sell something in one image in one still image, you know, that you've got to catch people's mm -hmm. imagination, tell a story, cast the right people. It's very, very difficult. Uh, probably why a lot of people don't do it. So it saddens me we don't see that much anymore. With uh, body confidence and image, with social media, it, I, I believe it does put a lot of pressure um, on a lot of people. You're seeing so much content now, so many fitness videos, so many dieting videos. So there's a lot of information, which is a good thing, but sometimes you can have too much information, too much overload. Uh, and a lot of people that are not experts in particularly any of these fields. So it's it's difficult to know what is the right information, what is the wrong information. Um, you know, social media is not regulated in, in, in many forms whatsoever. Um, and that's what people have to understand, um, especially with children. Here we do have done a lot of work with, or somewhere with uh, child line and understanding how the how these impact children how being addicted to our mobile phones and we are all addicted to it i'm not saying just children but we are all addicted to our mobile phones mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a you know, it's a it's a massive problem it, it's a huge change and it's happened very very quickly but i i can't see us going back to anything like uh it was back in 2006 when i did sort of light blue i, I just i always say now i, I would I would not to be where I was today if I was to start as a model now. It would have completely been changed. It's all about followers and engagement and recording your whole life virtually on on, uh, on social media, which um, I keep my private life, as I say, well, it's called private. Yeah. I'm never really willing to delve into that that much. So, um, yeah, it has, has changed a lot. And are you quite glad about that? Are you glad that social media didn't exist when you first started out? So you didn't have to see and read people's opinions on the daily like young people do now there are still people a majority of people we do on our social media we don't accept any uh negativity mm. um there's a lot of positive comments unfortunately with anything anyone can relate to this is that if you have uh, a thousand 
comments. If you read 999 good ones, you don't remember them. You remember sometimes the one negative one. Oh, yes. And it's, it's giving people a lot of voice and uh, there's a, you know, a lot of everyone has a bad day. You know, at the end of the day, everyone can say things off the cusp and it gives that pe- those people an opportunity not to think about what they're saying, not to, you know, not to take a breath, just to quickly type something. And uh, I think a lot of people are judged on stuff they put on social media and you have to understand, you have to give them a chance. What, when, what, when did you wear an outfit and feel your most amazing? What outfit was it and where were you? <laughs> um, my goodness, that's a good question. You see that I, 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 I'm not sure if I can name that. I, I, I try to, I think we all probably put on an outfit and we instantly know uh, we feel confidence in, in what we're wearing. And that confidence can exude throughout the day. Um, I also think we can be uncomfortable in outfits, whether that's the style, whether that's the fit, whether that's the materials. And that can, you know, I, I, that can, I, I always think that can bother me um, in, in something that I'm, you know, which is not me in many ways. That was one of, one of my biggest things in fashion. You know, I was, I was uh, a model, you know, almost like a mannequin that would go to a shoot and someone would dress me in something that, and you could see the difference between someone put me in something I absolutely loved. I would be confident and happy and work so much harder at that shoot. If they're putting something you're not comfortable in, you could see instantly that my mm. persona would completely change and I wasn't happy being there. So that's when much more of my sort of creative side came out where I would have a much more say in what was being, you know, what was being worn. And, um, and, and you know, I, I've been very fortunate enough to receive awards for my style, my style credentials, and, and um, that I've never had a stylist in my life. I wore what I believed was stylish clothing. Whether people believed it was or not, I, I didn't mind it. it. It was what I wanted to wear. It's, I, you know, it took a lot of inspiration from old Hollywood stars, but from classic pieces, um, which included T-shirts and joggers and sweatshirts. And if you go back, you'll look at you know, sort of, uh, James Dean, Steve McQueen, all these, all these uh, greats that men aspire to. They're in T-shirts and chinos and sweatshirts. And, you know, it wasn't as yeah. we see on the red carpet or... You know, every day when it would be, you know, if you see people today with their glam squads, even before they go outside or they're on the radio or on TV, that, that wasn't the case back then. And, and I, I, so I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm very much the same. People say to me, how long does it take you to get ready on the red carpet? And I'll be like 20 minutes. That's all the time I've got really at the day. I have children <laughs> and I will, I haven't got the, the, the latest tuxedo. I've, I've got the tuxedo that is the best tuxedo, which is a Henry Paul tuxedo, uh, a Henry Paul evening suit. I, Henry Paul invented the evening suit. An evening suit should be navy blue. I know all the facts behind it, and I know I've got the best, that is the best yeah. evening suit. And it is how you wear it, and people will notice that more than whether or not, or maybe he's had that suit 10 years, or oh, I saw him wear that before. And I think, yeah, if you can start out in in whatever you want, as long as you're happy in it, that's surely the most important thing. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Style to me doesn't change. We talk about Hollywood greats from the 1960s and 70s, and we're in you know, 2022. A, a great a great evening suit is a great evening suit. That that's that's it. Yes, you can change. Yes, you can do it in camouflage. Yes, you can try to modernize. Nothing wrong with that. I love individuality. I really, really do. 
because I can see the confidence in them. I can see that that's absolutely amazing to me. It's not something I, you know, particularly I'm an individual maybe because I choose to be very staid in what I'm comfortable in. You know, I don't, I always joke that I don't own a pair of trainers. This amazes people really. And they're like, what, what have you got against trainers? I'm like, absolutely nothing. Love trainers. I love them for running. I love them for down the I just don't wear them. Don't judge me on it. And I won't judge you on, but it's just not my, you know, it's just not what I'm into. And that's, you know, it's a big thing about being judged. I'll never judge anyone on what they're wearing as long as people are happy and confident and positive. And that's what we try to bring in well wear. And I'm trying, we're trying to produce a brand that from the buying experience to the, you know, the materials to engulf a piece of well wear every day into their outfit or whole outfit would be lovely. But uh, that's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to do this. You know, we, we, were, we were talking about, uh, again, just the meeting we had a minute ago about what does luxury mean anymore? And, you know, almost luxury to some people was meaning expensive. And we were saying that's not what it means. You know, sort of luxury means it's being the best. And when you're saying the best, it's you now have to tick so many boxes of it being um, sustainable, where it's made, comfort, and the price point. And yes, it's like I, I, I am confident that our £30 T-shirt is one of the best T-shirts you can buy in the market in the world. And I will mm. hand my hold on And so... And I will give you the credentials to why it is. I've also been in the industry for 20 years. I've worn more T-shirts than you know, I, I can ever remember. So I've, I've, we've done all our, uh, you know, we've done all our research here, and we we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to say we are providing the, you know, and you can say they can rival the most expensive brands, and they do. You know, yeah. we're trying to make it to attainable to as many people as possible. Um, but I guarantee our stuff will last a lot longer than a lot of the stuff out there at the moment. I like that you're trying to redefine luxury because I think people will, might class an item of clothing in their lawn, in their wardrobe as luxurious and lovely and then never wear it. And I think that's such a shame. I think why wait for a special occasion to put on something that makes you feel amazing? Um, cool. And if and if, if if everything that you wear every day is feels amazing, then that's great. It's going to give you, you should feel, more... Yeah, exactly. Whether, you know, the, 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 those sort of elements of what you're looking for, looking amazing, maybe looking amazing going out or maybe looking amazing going to the office uh, or for a cup of coffee or at home, that shouldn't change. You know, you should mm. feel even, like I say, you know, if you're at home in your joggers or loungewear or everything else, they should still be stylish oriented. They should still be the best, you know, the, some of the best fabrics you can have. Um, it doesn't change. You do that. That's your most relaxing time. You know, everyone says, well, why are you doing t-shirts or sweatshirts? Like, aren't you into tailoring? Yes, I'm, I love tailoring. It's one of my passions in life, but I'm not going to, majority of my time, you most people see me on the red carpet or at, at, at events or fashion weeks and stuff like that. Yes, I'm going to be in a suit because I want to be in a suit at that time. It's appropriate. But 70% of the time when I'm playing with my children or I'm taking them to nursery or I'm in the studio or uh, taking the dog for walk I'm not in suit mm-hmm. I'm in t-shirts and I'm in sweatshirts and I'm in chinos I guess it's worth saying to anyone listening to this David is wearing a black t-shirt and a black cap <laughs> just in case you were wondering uh, I'm not with him in the same yeah. room but it's what I can see on the screen um, yeah. and he's in his for white sure. boxes right you're in white boxes right now. Well, you, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to show you what I've got underneath the table. That's so that's different. <laughs> um, I've just had the most random question pop into my head. I wonder if anyone's ever asked you this. Uh, maybe it's a bit morbid, but maybe it's not. I mean, I love talking about death. Um, 
what have you thought about this? What would you want to be buried or cremated in, outfit-wise? Um, Has anyone ever asked oh you that goodness. before? I have had people tell me that they have buried some of their family in my clothing I've designed before. Okay, and how does because, that make you feel? Because because <laughs> they loved it so much. Uh-huh. I, I, it makes me feel, like, I suppose it's a, it was a bit odd at first, and I suppose there's a... If they, you know, if, if if you had an impact, I suppose on someone, and they love their clothing so much, and they want to be buried, and you can't feel anything but yeah, um, it's wonderful. But uh, a bit of yeah, respect for that, really. So absolutely, what I what what should I be? Uh, dear me, not sure. Don't think I really care. I'm dead. Um, no, you think about it now. Something. I, I saw, well, if you don't declare what you want right now, someone might put you in trainers. How do you feel about that? That's very actually, Chris. You've got a really good point here. Actually, um, that's that's very true. I guess let's you'd come back and warn them. Something that should be very biodegradable. Let, let, let's put it that way. Um, so I don't leave an impact on the environment. So my clothes don't leave an impact, and I don't leave an impact on the environment. Let me just say that. But uh, so well no, wear then, I yeah. I haven't quite thought about that one yet. Well wear, definitely well wear. Absolutely. <laughs> Live and die by the brand. Yeah, or maybe it should just be the white speedos because that's what I yes, suppose everyone that's, would expect. That's what that's yeah. what we know you as, and that is your identity. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Let's move on to the one lesson, one piece of advice. Maybe you'd like to share um, something that you've learned from glittering your turds. So, having that massive shock and being dropped for that campaign and everything you've done since. What have you learned from that experience? I think I've already probably said it, Chris, in many ways. It, it's um, it's about that that getting things wrong or bad situations uh, isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. I think you learn a lot from mistakes um, and move on, and, and 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 having that ability to be able to move on from that mm. is not a terrible thing. People people think failure or mistakes is um, is 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 it's hard, but but. It's not a failure on any regards. I failed at you know so much stuff. We fail every probably you know we're we're constantly within the brand. We haven't got everything right, of course. I haven't got everything right in twenty years. But as long as you do, as long as you learn from it and carry on, that's the most important part. There's mm-hmm. you know you never have regrets about is is something you know, never re- you know regret making a mistake. Uh, as long as you can rec- you know, as long as you learn from it and rectify it, you know mistakes. Only have regrets for something that you didn't do in life. I think, yeah, that's that's my biggest thing. And but sometimes when you try everything and you strive for something and you try different things, you're you're going to have failures, and uh, that's an important part of, of of life to learn. But uh, there's a lot of pressure on on not to fail with students and children and exams, and that goes on in life. You know, the 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 the, um, the earlier you learn that, the better in many ways. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what's one thing I've learned. I, I've, um, I think there was a saying that you know, it's, you know, people should be judged on on, you know, how their patience and when they have nothing, and then their their behaviour on when they have everything. Is a big thing. I've seen a lot of people that once they, once they mm. have made it, once they have or they perceive they have made it. Um, they can forget their roots. They can forget the people who have helped them get there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you've got to stay, try and stay humble 
don't don't believe your own hype as i always sort of say and, uh, i think it's quite an important part of life yeah what's the one thing tangible or otherwise i mean it could have been your agent could have been an excellent pair of chinos something that got you through that time <laughs> and helped you to glitter your turd oh um what would it be i mean as i mentioned earlier um my sort of love of animals at that, that time would have been like all my sort of bad times would have been uh, helped very much with uh, the companionship of my dog dog uh, walk great. that's my still to, to my day is my uh, you know bad morning bad afternoon whatever is a, a dog walk and a bit of fresh air and a bit of thinking time to myself mm -hmm. um, allows me to uh, to think, give a bit, a bit of different perspective and a bit of thought. Um, you'll never have uh, sort of love and companionship that a dog will ever, you know, from anything else that a dog will give you. You know, I disappear for five minutes, my dog greets me like I've been gone for three days. It's mm. uh, it's just incredible. So that's why I, I, I yeah, Batsy Dogs Home and Cats Home is one of my, you know, my favorite charities and uh, work with Nikki Tibbles on her dog charity as well. That's why I try and do so much because they're um, they always have been. You know, I've had dogs since I was three, three or four years of age, and uh, they're an important part of my life. So um, that's yeah, that's what uh, I yeah. imagine I would have done. I can't remember what I did, but I, I imagine I would have chucked my bag probably across the room, grabbed a dog lead, and gone for a walk. And everything on the, everything, I got, everything when I got back was probably slightly better. Yeah, and the chips are down. To spend time with the dog. Or the, or the, the Gandhi family loves a cup. The Gandhi family loves a cup of tea. A cup of tea seems to remedy anything in life. It's something to celebrate. You get a cup of tea, bad day, you have a cup of tea. Mate, that comes up so many times. We are <laughs> British through and through. We just can't get away from the fact that a cup of tea cures all ills and sorts out all problems. Yeah, there you go. So now we're going to listen to Lucy about how they glittered their turd. Okay. I just want to share my story of my turds, my three children. They all glitter. Um, my eldest is 20, nearly 26. She's always cared for my younger turds. She's amazing, gives too much of herself, but she's a beautiful human being. My middle one is autistic and has lived a life of exclusion and misdiagnosis. When he was six, somebody said to me that I would see him in the dock of a court being charged with something because people didn't understand him. When he was 18, that very nearly happened. And now he's 23, nearly 24, and he lives semi-independently. He's a little bit lonely, but baby steps. He's an amazing human being. And my little one, Nancy, has got cystic fibrosis. When she was born, I was absolutely grief-stricken that she would experience a life of medical trauma. But she's 11, and she's incredible. She's fierce. She shines. She tests me every single day yeah all my turds glitter <laughs> they're amazing i love that i think that's the first time that i've heard that sweet. someone's children are called turds um but they sound incredible and they sound like an amazing team you've got children so um mm -hmm. have you ever called your children turds <laughs> 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 call them a lot worse sometimes um no i always say with children you 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 have the highest sometimes you have the highest highs and sometimes the lowest lows bring up children mm. um 
they they can be um, they can really test everyone's patience, but at the same time, it takes a, a little smile of them, and it's all forgotten about. Um, mm. This is uh, I always thought it was a cliche that uh, friends and other people told me that um, you know, you're don't think you're ready and you don't think how am I going to love this little person that comes out and, and when they do it, it's just this natural instinct and you just will protect them any way you can so it sounds like uh, it was elusive it yeah. sounds like um, her children do the same for her and her younger ones and I mean I can only ever hope that uh, and she's already sort of showed anyway that that sibling um, love between the two and protecting your your little siblings and uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful element. It's, uh, it's incredible. Yeah. You're a twin, aren't you? Yes, and it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, it is the best. I feel sorry for anyone who's not a twin um, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, it's, well, it's a bond like no other. And, and I know I don't know any different, but, you know, you are, as they say, born with your best mate. Um, feel very, very lucky. Very lucky to have her. Well, thank you. All that's left now to do is to cheers. Um, I don't know if you've got a drink nearby. Uh, got, if not, uh, you're just going to have to imagine it. I don't, honestly. I've got a bottle of water. He's like, yeah. bad, bad luck it to cheers have... with water, though. Who said that? I don't know. I might have made that one up. Oh, no. Well, forget you said that. Uh, I'm cheersing with a glass of water um, to all of life's turds. Uh, to your turd. It's <laughs> <laughs> excellent time for someone to walk in. Um, yeah, and um, to being dropped and to a, a life well lived after that. Thank you, Chris. Well, here's to, here's to your turd as well. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. <laughs> well... I think it's reassuring that sometimes scary uncharted roads lead to better and brighter things. I hope that you think so too. I also hope that you're asking yourself what items of clothing you would want to be buried or cremated in. Uh, personally, I think I'd probs be in some fancy dress, maybe a cat outfit, probably something quite extra. Until that fateful day though, I will continue to wear clothes that make me feel happy and I very much hope that you will be doing the same. Thank you David for sharing your turd tales. Thank you Lucy for telling us that your children are your glittery turds. Um, remember if you want to share your turd glittering tales you can leave me a voice note on the number written in the episode notes. Okay so thanks so much for listening. I really really appreciate it. And I hope I'll see you around here again soon. Until then, loads of love. Bye.